We're in, uh, for those of you a first-timer particularly, um, the, uh, we started last week talking about eternal security. I took, talked about the reason for eternal security. Told you uh, this week we were going to come back and talk about some of the problem passages. Uh, that when I say problem passages, they're passages that those who teach against uh, eternal security uh, would bring up. And so we'll just kind of walk through some of those today. Um, and uh, in general, um, I, will, um, I will tell you uh, a little bit as we start uh, back, um, you know, kind of what denominations generally, but, you know, there are lots of people within denominations, so that doesn't mean that everybody within a specific denomination believes in eternal security or against it or whatever. I uh, also talked to you about some of the post-service conversations uh, I ended up in uh, after, uh, after Sunday, uh, which were good and enlightening and encouraging. Uh, also, uh, some of the uh, emails we've received uh, since then. I always get love letters uh, when you teach on a topic like that. Brian, you raising your hand, you losing your salvation, or what? Good. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate that word. Well, let me open this in prayer because this is an important topic. Lord, thanks so much for this day. Thank you for all these guys here in the room. I pray that we're constantly growing with each other and encouraging each other in our faith. And uh, just uh, we do pray, God, I specifically pray uh, on behalf of all of us uh, for the, our, our, our friends, uh, our families, the people down in Houston, the churches that are going to be on the front line for for months, if not years, uh, to ministry these uh, these ministries specifically that I've uh, I've spoken about, and uh, the the Minutemen and Texas Baptist Men, and uh, these that Greg mentioned uh, related to going down just to help. Thank you for all those volunteers I've seen that have just had small boats that showed up and, and saving uh, saving people. And uh, uh, God, we pray for that. And uh, we know the rain's not over, and the flood uh, waters have not finished rising and so there's more damage and more danger and more difficulty to come god if there is something to celebrate we celebrate the fact that uh, uh that we uh, we haven't seen more uh more deaths and more uh well, certainly the, the property loss is going to be immense and uh the uh, loss of memories and uh just um, uh, houses and homes is going to be amazing lord thank you for um, just in, in some measure of what Scott mentioned that uh, we have uh, in the state of Texas preserved our rainy day fund. And, God, this may be what, what it's for. And uh, it's a good challenge for all of us to always uh, uh, store up uh, for a rainy day. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. I uh, wanted to address, I put together a video yesterday that should be going out on social media. don't know if it got out yesterday about uh, dealing with natural disasters and, and hurricanes, tsunamis, and all of those. Anytime there's one of those things, you get deluged, uh, deluged literally with emails of why would God allow this to happen. How many of you, you know, heard that? Uh, we're actually not getting it as much now. Uh, as we do during a tsunami when thousands of people die and, and the news media can roll in there and they can, they can show you the pictures of all the loss of lives of the little children and families and stuff like that. So we haven't got it quite as much 
this or tornadoes and stuff. And you know the idea is why would God allow this to happen? It's always interesting to me on a couple of different different ways. And, and so if you follow the church on social media, just be ready. If it didn't get out last night or to get out today, I shot it yesterday. Um, you know, there, there's a couple of thoughts. And, and by the way, um, this, is, this is a good opportunity for you to talk at the office and be a, uh, be a witness uh, at the office when someone said, why, why would God allow this to happen? Um, you know, you can start with at least a thought in the back of your mind um, is, is the truth is God did allow this to happen. God didn't cause this to happen. If someone says, you know, and you'll hear this from time to time, some a crazy knuckleheaded preacher will say, you know, uh, the truth is those people down there in Houston needed it because of what they did to those pastors by subpoenaing them. Let me just tell you, I don't believe that God allowed this hurricane to happen because they subpoenaed those pastors. Uh, I do believe there are a lot of people uh, down in Houston because I grew up down there that would be better off if they read more pastor sermons. But uh, So maybe they need to subpoena them all um, as long as they're going to read them. But the truth is, I don't believe this is God's judgment. God did, did allow it. If you look in Romans chapter 8, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about as a result of sin, the whole creation groans waiting for the day of redemption. There is, a, there is a reality. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, their sin certainly affected us spiritually and physically. It brought about death and disease and difficulty and all of those things. So certainly sin brought that about. But also sin brought about uh, evil in the world, just general evil. It, it affected creation. Uh, and so we know that uh, with all the natural forces going on and we're, we're smart enough now and God gave us the intellect that we can say, you know, maybe when a tsunami happens, it's basically just an earthquake that happened out in the ocean somewhere and created, uh, you know, just kind of a vacuum and then an explosion of water coming back out. And that's a tsunami. And we know what tornadoes do now. And we know how hur hurricanes develop. And, and all of those things. But, you know, we need to understand that's part of the fact we live in a world filled with sin. And whether we die by tornado or hurricane or whatever, because of sin, death is in this world. Whether we die with cancer, that's part of sin being in this world. Uh, but there are always people that say, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God allow this to happen? It, it does always interest me that um, the previous 9 or 12 years that a hurricane had not hit the coast, those same people weren't thanking God for allowing it not to hit the coast, all right? So that's the first thing you want to say. Well, if you're, if you're wondering why God allowed it to happen, have you been thinking him for the last 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 years because a hurricane hadn't hit you before? Does that make sense? So that's number one. That's number one. Um, is, 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 is it's amazing to me that people are quick to go blame God when a natural disaster happened, but don't thank him for the, rain, for the shiny day they've had for the last 10 or 12 years. Because we all know, I always knew growing up in Houston, that the word hurricane could always be part of the vocabulary. Uh, and if you lived in Galveston, you know they were going to be driving up 45 in different places in different areas. So that's, that's thought number one. But number two, God did allow it to happen. There's a reality. God did allow it to happen. And uh, our creation groans uh, as a result of sin. It, it longs for redemption, just like we long for redemption. Our creation longs for uh, redemption. And, um, and so in, in doing that, you, you need to take this as an opportunity to be a witness, to say, yeah, you know, the, the truth is sin has affected creation, it's affected man, it's affected our spirit, it's affected our relationship with God. Now, 
while we don't have to defend God in these situations, we do need to understand pretty clearly our response as believers is, is to give and to go to do something, to pray, to pray, to give and to go. That is our response. And so you'll see that video today as I talk through some, uh, some more things. So I just want to encourage you to, to not be afraid to speak in these situations. Um, now, going back to eternal security, if you weren't here last week, let me give you a couple of, um, a couple of denominations, and again, uh, that typically believe someone can lose their salvation if you weren't here last week and you don't remember those. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in these denominations uh, believe that you, you, can, you can have someone in one of these denominations that believe in eternal security, just like you're gonna, you can have when I give you the denominations that believe in a, eternal security. You can have people like those who have engaged me after Sunday uh, that are going to this church that believe you can lose your salvation. But typically those who believe you can lose your salvation, that um, uh, Methodist, Lutherans, Pentecostals, Assembly of Gods, uh, Roman Catholic Church, those typically... Those organizations typically uh, believe you can lose your salvation, and uh, uh, they believe that you can uh, uh, unearn something that wasn't earned, which makes no sense. They'll absolutely tell you that salvation is by faith or, you know, and grace and that you can't earn your salvation, but they do believe you can unearn it, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. How can I unearn something I didn't earn? Does that make sense? If I if I if my salvation was unearned, how can I uh, uh, how can I unearn it? Uh, the uh, denominations that typically believe uh, that um, you can't lose your salvation are Baptist, Presbyterians, Bible churches that you see around, and most of those that refer to them as non-denominational churches non-denominational churches. They typically believe in eternal security. Uh, but the truth is there are some passages, that's what we're looking at today, that, 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 that if you aren't careful in how you interpret them, just a quick reading or a fast reading, or what most people do is what's called proof texting. How many of you have ever heard the word proof texting? Okay. If you haven't heard the word proof texting, it means that I go to Scripture, I grab a verse or a phrase and pull it out of its context and then use it wherever I want to to prove a point that I want proved. Does that make sense? That's called proof texting, all right? It's uh, if I say, uh, you know, if I, if I say something to Tim that, you know, Tim, this, you know, and then I go to a text that has nothing to do with that, and I'll say, here's what the Bible says, boom. Does that make sense? I am using Scripture but I'm using Scripture as a proof text of what I'm saying. It does not necessarily apply. And so if you were here Sunday, and we're going to go back through these quickly, um, uh, there are people that say you've fallen from grace. Well, if you don't understand the context of Hebrews, he's talking to Hebrews who have come to a place where they've seen the maturity of the law, the fulfillment of the law of Christ, but they've chosen instead of trying to gain their salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, they have fallen and gone back to the law. That's what he's saying. You've fallen from grace. That's the, but what most people will say is they'll take that word fall from grace and they'll say, Tim, if you don't quit sinning, you're going to lose your salvation. Remember, we talked about falling from grace. Well, they're taking a text that has nothing to do with Tim spending last weekend in Vegas. 
But they're saying if you keep sinning, by the way, am I mentioning Vegas enough about 10? Y'all know Tim? Pray for Tim. In, in, in the Bible, he's known as the prodigal. Um, but uh, does that make sense? I'm taking a passage of Scripture that doesn't apply, and I'm using it as a proof text. Uh, conversations uh, after Sunday uh, were usually this. Here's how they start. Walk up, and, and they're well-meaning people, and I was gracious to all of them for a while. Um, the, uh, they walk up and say, well, what about the Christian Okay, that's how they'll start. They'll assume they're a Christian. Okay? If you are in that conversation, you need to say, stop. Let's don't refer to the, per- to the hypothetical person you're about to build as a Christian to begin with. You come ask me the question, what about the person? Okay, what about the person? See, because if you put it as a Christian, that puts you on a defensive How do you define Christian? A Christian is one who has become fully convinced of their sinfulness, that they have fallen short of of God's God's holy and righteous standard. They have fallen short. They're none righteous. That they have understood that they cannot earn their way to heaven. They understand that the only price tag and payment for sin was Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And only by faith do I trust Him and believe in Him and I receive Him as my Savior and I make Him the Lord of my life. And that is my reason for salvation. It has nothing to do with me. That's a Christian, okay? Not a Christian is not a person that goes to church. A Christian is not a person, so be careful when someone describes someone, well, they're a Christian because they went to church. Are they, a Christian is not someone who was simply born in a Christian home. A Christian is not someone whose daddy was a deacon or mom headed up the WMU. You know what the WMU was? Women's Missionary Union. Uh, you know, that's not a Christian. So if someone wants to build a case, start with making them define them as a person, not a Christian. Does that make sense? Because that makes it more difficult. So they say, what about the person? who uh, went to church and did all of these things and maybe even went on a mission trip, but then they worshiped with us. They they even, even prayed sometimes in our group, but then all of a sudden they journeyed off in a different direction, never to come back. And they would say, what about, did that person, did that Christian, that's the way they want to say, did that Christian still have their salvation or lose it? First of all, it's a person. They did appear to be a Christian at one time, but I can't judge a person's heart. But I can judge fruit. See, and that's the key, is what was their heart and what's the fruit? For a brief time, the fruit may have looked like that of a Christian, but if they depart from the church, their fruit for a season doesn't look like a Christian. If they come back, that proves they were one of us. That was the last verse I used Sunday. If they keep going in a different direction, it's not my job to judge them. Never has been, never will be. But I can say there's a good chance they may have never been a Christian. They looked like it for a while. They tried to wear the jersey for a while, but they uh, they haven't. Email. Uh, so be careful if, if you're in this conversation. If someone starts by saying, what about the Christian dead? 
Say, no, 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 let's back up. What about the person that? Okay, what about the person? Best analogy, best illustration is, that you can use of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son was off doing his prodigaling, when he was doing his Tim impersonation, although he didn't look like a good son of the father, he was always in relationship with the father. Does that make sense? But when he came home, he got it, and he regained his fellowship and his love and his right standing with God. Another email that I got, someone immediately went and I actually don't have this one. I just saw this last night. Uh, someone talked about Matthew chapter 12. I see that hand. Are you volunteering to be a prodigal or what? Talking about the prodigal? Huh? For his fellowship to come back. The point, the point is the prodigal always was a son of the father. Okay, now that's where we can't judge the heart of an individual. You know, whether it's Ron or whoever, we can't judge the heart of a person who is a Christian. All we can do is judge the fruit. That's why we never want to get into the habit of determining who lost their salvation or gained it or whatever. At one point, they looked like a Christian. I hope, and let me tell you what, they, and this is, this is kind of a sense I got in one person. There was almost a great, one email I read, there was almost a great joy and hoping that they could say a lot more people were losing their salvation. And I'm like, I don't get that at all. Because let me tell you what, if, if you take great joy in proving the fact that someone can lose their salvation instead of tasting eternal security in heaven or going to spend eternity in hell, you don't understand hell, you don't understand judgment, and you don't understand your own condemnation that you should have had. Because we all deserve hell, folks. I will just tell you as the heart of the pastor, you go ahead and condemn as many people as you want to to hell. As long as you realize we should all be there. None of us deserve to be with Christ. And I, I can never, and I'll look back over my life, and you've heard me share from time to time, I'm so glad there wasn't Twitter and there wasn't social media, wasn't Facebook before I surrendered the ministry because I guarantee you I wouldn't be your pastor today. And I'd have been fool enough to post some things that you had, <laughs> that, that, does that make sense? I mean, I deserve hell. I want as many people as possible to get to heaven. So if I'm going to err on the side of anything, I'm going to err on the side of praying and hoping that I'm going to look up like wagers over there. I mean, it's, I have no doubt. He comes to church every Sunday, but I know Mike wagers. When I get to heaven and I open my eyes and I see him there, I'm still going to be a bit shocked. <laughs> I'm going to go, so you were. No, I'm kidding. By the way, they video that. Hey, take his name out, by the way. So, uh, anyway, uh, one, one immediately got off track in, in an email and says, what about Matthew chapter 12 where, where, where G Jesus talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I'm like, well, that's awesome. And so this is, this is I guarantee you, somebody, you're never going to win the argument. Somebody that just wants to proof text their argument against eternal security, they've got lots. Went over to blaspheme, blaspheme the Holy Spirit in, in Matthew chapter 12, and I'm like, so I responded, I said, have you ever read Matthew chapter 12 in the context of Matthew chapter 12? 
It had nothing to do with what I was talking about today. It was the Pharisees attacking Jesus for performing miracles, attributing Jesus' miracles to Satan. And Jesus said, man, you go ahead and talk about me. But the Spirit of God just committed that miracle. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And there's no opportunity for redemption. Then what happens right after Matthew chapter 12? Matthew chapter 13. You want to go read a fun chapter. Go read Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus just pours gas on the Pharisees and lights them. And he goes, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you do this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you do this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Who was he talking to? A specific, this is why proof texting doesn't help. Is you take the context, pull the verse out of its context, and you apply it somewhere else. So everybody goes, well, what about those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Well, who were the first people that blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Go look at Matthew chapter 12. I said, where else is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? They didn't know that. They just had that why. I said, well, go look in Matthew chapter 3. You'll see it again and then come back with a decent argument. Um, but in Matthew chapter 12, sorry, I'm getting a little fired up here. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees who were looking him in the eyes after performing a miracle. And they're saying, you are filled, Jesus, with the spirit of Satan. And Jesus said, listen, you say all you want to to me. But if you call the Holy Spirit's work, the work of Satan, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And he goes, you'll never receive salvation. He was talking to a specific group of people, the Pharisees and the scribes who were trying to attribute the work of God to the work of Satan. And he was saying, if you want to hold on, and then, and then he goes on, he says, and you will never be saved even beyond to the day of redemption. What he's saying, you just keep living in your Phariseeism and attributing, and attributing the work of God to work of someone else. Hey, I am not done. <laughs> See, boss. Um, I know. <laughs> the prodigal. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, only to depart, only to depart again. Uh, all right, so here, uh, boy, didn't mean to get off in that. So anyway, take the context. The context is Jesus is challenging the Pharisees. What they want to do is they want to talk about someone who, who, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, reject the Holy Spirit, you know. I've heard, I've, I heard one person years ago, years ago, I think it was at Baylor, they were talking about if you don't receive the gift of tongues, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit. I'm like, really? I've never, I've never heard that. And, of course, at that time I wasn't reading a lot of Scripture anyway. I just knew <laughs> I was going to walk away. Um, but, all right, so let me start walking through some of these passages. All right, some of these problem passages that you'll see... Um, if you, uh, if you missed the first part last week where I talked about the affirmation of eternal security, you can find it online on our website. Uh, here are problem passages. One that I hear, proof texting, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, how many of you have heard that at least used or you've understood that? What does that mean? How many of you want? All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your iPhone or your smart device, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, this passage is also often misused to, to say, man, that, that means you better work it out because the moment you start work, stop working out your salvation, you're going to lose it. Well, that's kind of interesting because Paul had just told the Ephesians that you can't work at your salvation at all. What did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10? He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, right? That's verse 8 and 9. Paul in Ephesians verse 8 and 9 uses that word, not by works, right? He says, not by works, salvation. But Paul says, if you truly have a faith and grace-filled salvation that you gained not by works, if it is a legitimate salvation, that salvation will work. Do you understand? I didn't gain salvation by work, but my salvation will work. That's why it's important for all of us to understand when we memorize verse 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest no one should boast. Go ahead and read verse 10. Because what does this say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? He says, for what? For we are God's handy work created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God had prepared in advance for us to do. What is he saying? Man, I don't gain my salvation by works, but I should because of my salvation work. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying, work out your faith with fear and trembling. So they get caught up on the word work. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So is that really what Paul means? Go back to Philippians. Well, if, if Paul means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, what might Paul be referencing? Well, if you go one chapter over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul talks about a little work that a Christian ought to do, but not to keep his salvation, but to live it out. In Philippians chapter 3, verse uh, 13 and 14, you love this passage. I love this passage. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I work and strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. How many of you think that Paul is saying, let's work out our salvation, boys. Let's don't cross the salvation finish line, set up a chair, grab a Christian lemonade, and sit around and do nothing. He says, no, once you are saved, let's bust it. Does that make sense? Let's get after it. Let us, Paul says, strain forward. Let's Forget what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Let us press on. Does that sound like working out your salvation? Absolutely. Not to keep your salvation, but to press on toward the goal, right? To press on toward the goal. Um, if, you want to, if you want to use another passage, what about those words fear? That word fear in the original Greek. Uh, by the way, work does mean work. It means strain. It means strive. It means, it means deliver energy to the effort or whatever it is. The word fear uh, in the Greek can also equally be translated reverence and respect. Reverence and respect. Uh, that word trembling uh, can, also, can primarily refer to a human frailty. 
or, or human emotions, so trembling that you, you, ever, you ever cried, you weeped, you, you did whatever, you, you shake or whatever. So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you telling me that Paul says, hey, believers, I want you to constantly live and walk in fear of losing your salvation, and I want you to tremble and shake. Does that sound like Paul? Because that's Philippians chapter 2. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? I'm glad you asked because I'm about to tell you, all right? Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. This is two chapters over. He says, let your gentleness, gentleness be evident to all men, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. So you're telling me Paul says, I want you to walk in fear of losing your salvation in chapter 2, but in chapter 4 he says, I don't want you to worry about anything. He says, no. He says, don't be anxious about anything. He says, um, but in every situation, in prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying, don't be anxious and fearful. As a believer, I don't want to walk in fear that I'm going to lose my salvation. I want to walk in obedience. I want to walk with a sense of, uh, of I need to confess my sins to God. Does that make sense? But Paul is nowhere saying, hey, I want you to... Does that sound anywhere? Paul in Romans chapter 8, we just talked about, man, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's what we talked about this week, right? Paul says, hey, in all these things, I want you to live in fear and trembling. That doesn't make sense. So what are they saying? Work out your fear with a reverence and respect. Paul also uses the exact same phrase. If you want to write this down, uh, and, and uh, let's see, uh, where is it? Uses the exact same phrase over in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, he's talking about Titus. Oh, goodness gracious, where is that? Um, yeah, here, here it is. Here it is. Uh, um, seven. You're close, though. Uh, yeah, 7, 6. All right. Here, here, yeah, yeah. It starts. Jump down to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13 to 16. Paul uses the same phrase uh, of receiving Titus. He says, by this, he says, we are all encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, uh, to our own encouragement, we especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because Titus uh, in his spirit was refreshed by all of you. He says, listen to this, I had boasted to Titus about you, talking about the Corinthians. He says, and you have not embarrassed me. You know, can you imagine, have you, have you, ever, have you ever sent someone to church, someone says, hey, what church do you go to? Oh, it's a great church, I love the church, or I do this, or, 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 or have you ever done this? This probably could happen to you. You say, hey, you need to come to Cottonwood, our pastor's great. Yeah, I'm gonna expect fear and trembling, uh, and and then I have to, I sit up there and lay an egg. Um, I, I lay an egg, and it can happen. By the way, it can happen. He says I had boasted of you, but you didn't embarrass me. He says, but just as everything we said about you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus also proved to be true. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient to faith. And he says, and you received him with fear and trembling. 
He used the same two Greek words. You receive Titus with fear and trembling. Is he really saying that, man, when you saw Titus, I was afraid? No. You received Titus as a messenger sent from me with reverence and love and respect. And when you trembled, you could be an emotional or loving. So it's not the idea that I need to walk around fearful that I'm going to lose my salvation. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse five, uh, 3, uh, Paul also said, he says, I came to you with great fear and trembling. Talking about the Corinthian church. He says, I came to you with great fear and trembling. What was he saying? He walked into Corinth with some respect, with, with, with some fear, with some worry, and with some trembling. He says, man, my, my body was frail. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to talk about the frailty of his body. So Paul, when he says, work out your faith with fear and trembling, let your faith work is what he's saying. With reverence to God, with reverence to others, Certainly a healthy fear, if you want to translate, of things around you, of, of not being a good... There are some things for us as believers to fear, that we aren't good witness, we, aren't, we don't lead our family well, we don't stay faithful. There are some things where... And he goes, with fear and trembling, man, th- 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 we have to understand trembling, that talks about human frailty. That, that man, I'm weak. I'm always capable of falling into sin and back into sin. Does that make sense? So that's one passage. Work out your faith. It, it really, it, if you go over to Ephesians chapter 2, really, we don't work for our faith, but our faith should always work. All right. Uh, Galatians 5, I talked about that Sunday. Um, if you all want me to come. Here, here's another one that people use. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, and following this is talking about uh, judgment. He says, uh, beginning verse 12, he says, If anyone builds on a foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring, to, bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If um, what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though not as one ex- uh, escaping through the flames. I've had people say, you know, man, this, this shows that at the end of the day, uh, uh, everything's going to be burned up, and you could lose your salvation, but some might slip through by the skin of their teeth. What you need to first of all understand, realize salvation is never, never in jeopardy here. This is the Bema seat. This is the uh, judgment seat of Christ. Only Christians are at this judgment. All right? Only Christians are at this judgment. And what is being tested here is not whether a person is a Christian or not. It's being tested. What's tested is the works, right? Your works. No, notice what he says. Notice he's talking about the works. He's not talking about the individual. The individual is already tested. They're saved by faith. What's being tested is our works, our, our U-Haul trailer of good or bad works that we've done for God, or whatever it is. Why did I give to the church? Why did I do this? Why did I serve God? Notice what, so let's read it. If anyone builds on a foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work, what are we talking about? Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be re- revealed, by, uh, revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each what? What is that next phrase? Exactly. 
The fire is not testing the quality of each person, whether they're in the faith or not, out, not in the faith. It's testing the quality of the work. Does that make sense? What we do, that's what is being tested here is works, whether it's good or it's bad. He goes, listen, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will still be saved. Now, interesting, that seems to infer that there are going to be some people who, when they walk into heaven, there aren't going to be many works that are not, there aren't going to be many works that were saved through the fire. Does that make sense? There aren't going to, hang, I'll, get, I'll get to you. Does that make sense? So there are going to be, now some people, and there are probably some in this room, you're going to roll into heaven with a lot of works that look like, man, it's gold and silver and precious stones. But some people are going to roll into heaven, and that's where we're going to look at Mike and go, really? And I'm going to say, Mike, what's that in your hand? And he's going to be saying, this is what left after the fire? <laughs> Doesn't that seem to insinuate that some people, a lot of their works? So that's why we want to be careful when we're judging someone's work. So he says, he says, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Why does a person escape through the flames? Not because they have a certain amount of works. No, they escape through the flames and get to heaven because they're saved. The flames are testing their work. Question? Huh? Oh, which verse? Oh, I was in I was 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 uh, to 15 is where I was. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But it, anytime you interpret that passage, you always drive the person back. The only thing they're being tested is the work, not the person. But it also tells us, yes, there are going to be some people that they get to heaven with a lot of works that made it through the fire. There are going to be some people that they don't have much left. Does that make sense? Everybody understand? They don't have much left. But they're still in heaven. Exactly. Chuck, there's hope. That's called hope. It's the anchor for your soul. So, all right. Good grief. Um, do you want me to do another one real quick, or do you all need to leave? All right, John 15. John 15, verse 5 and 6. They went out from us because they were really not one of us. John 15, this is the vine and the branches. Uh, and, and I will tell you that the, the same thing, I, I won't go over it today, but the same thing applies to the sower and the seed. Remember Jesus said that a farmer went out and he sowed some seeds. Some was on dry ground, some was this, some was that. Uh, a lot of people say, well, see those that sprang up early uh, and then they died out before they produced fruit. They were, they were Christians that lost their salvation. If you look at those four kinds of soil, only the fourth soil really meets the qualifications of what it meant to be a Christian. The same thing here, people, and, and if, you, if you just quickly read read this here um, in John chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. And really, you can go back all the way up to verse 5, uh, verse 1 to 6. Again, Jesus says in verse 5 and 6, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 
So it sounds like what's happening. Some people at one point had their faith, were abiding in Christ, and then they don't bear fruit, and they're pruned off, they're cut away, and thrown into the fire, right? That's what it can sound like if you, like if you aren't careful. Let's read it again, all right? Notice what it says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So a true believer will bear fruit. That's why I would always be careful. And that's why the, the people that think that people throw it at, at us who believe in eternal security all the time. So you're telling me that little seven-year-old boy, they always use a boy, they never use a girl, uh, and rightly so, that little boy that, that, that said he got saved in, in vacation Bible school and then he lived like hell the rest of his life. You're telling me he's a Christian. I'm, I'm telling you if he was a Christian, he still is. Now I'm also telling you I doubt he ever was because he never bore fruit of repentance. Does that make sense? And it is okay to make that statement that I don't know whether he's a Christian or not. They will want to do that. Okay, so he was a Christian, so you're saying he never lost his salvation. I'm going to say, you look at his life, he never demonstrated a life that showed he was a Christian. Does that make sense? So I don't think he lost it somewhere along the line. I think he just walked forward. Remember, a Christian is not someone that walks an aisle. That's not how you define a Christian, not, a, not someone that just prays a prayer, not someone that grew up in a church, not someone that was born in a Christian home. So let's go back to this passage. He says, I am the, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't abide in me, We'll know. You may be in proximity to the vine, but you're not in the vine. You never were in the vine. You're a branch laying on the ground next to the vine. Does that make sense? He says, you, and you will be gathered up and thrown into the fire. He's not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. He's going to say, you might have been in the proximity of the vine. You might have gone to church a little. You might have grew up in a Christian home. You might have, does that make sense? Or John 15, 16. He, so he says what? Let's read it. If anyone does not abide in me. So what is the state of that anyone? They don't abide in Christ. He doesn't say if anyone stops abiding me. He said if anyone doesn't abide in me. So out of proximity. And you also want to be careful when Jesus uses these allegories and metaphors that you, that you make them hard and fast. This person's a Christian. This person's not. What he's really telling us here, he says, listen. And he's talking again in front of the Pharisees, by the way. He's saying, listen, you'll know them by the fruits. Someone who truly follows me, you'll know them by the fruits. Uh, let's see. Um, if I can jump, jump through one. Hebrews 10, 26 to 29. Uh, Hebrews 10, 26 to 29. This is a warning against apostasy. Uh, apostasy is an intentional falling away or defection from Christ. That's what apostasy is. Uh, it's an intentional falling away. Um, uh, apostates have the message, but they reject the message. They, 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 they have the truth, but they have no application of the truth. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 29, this is, uh, this is used again. If we deliberately... If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy. 
um, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy the thing, uh, an unholy thing, uh, the blood of the covenant of the sanctified uh, that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? All right. Again, let's start by reading this and under who's he talking to? What's the book title? Hebrews. He's talking about legalists who are always drawn back to the law. So now let's read it with this understanding. They didn't come to faith. Here's where they'll say they became a Christian. It says, verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning, that's where they'll say, all right, you, these people are saved. And they keep on sinning. After we receive the knowledge of truth. Listen, just because you receive truth doesn't make you a believer. So what is he saying? You have heard the truth of the grace of God and the sacrifice for Jesus on the cross. You've heard it. That's why we want to be careful about calling people Christians and calling people not Christians, all right? He says, you've heard it, you Hebrews. He says, but what have you done? You've received the knowledge, but you've chosen to keep on sinning. How have you chosen to keep on sinning? By rejecting Christ. That's, that's continuing to sin by talking down Christ's sacrifice. And then he goes on and says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, in other words, we re deliberately reject the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment, of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What is he saying? He's saying, if you guys over here keep teaching your salvation by the law, he says, nothing but judgment and fire stands for you in the future. There is no sacrifice. But those who accept the knowledge of grace and of truth and truly believe, you have her eternal forgiveness and grace and love coming your way. Then as you continue to read on, he says, anyone, he, he, verse, uh, verse 29, he says, how much more severely do you think um, someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? He says, listen, a lot of times we sit there and a lot of people love to do this. What about the person on the backside of Africa or India or whatever that hasn't heard about the gospel? Can I just tell you right now, that person is not your responsibility. What about you? If you've heard the message of grace and you've rejected it, how much more severely do you need to be punished? Because you've actively, like these people, rejected the grace of God and the salvation message of the truth, and you've kept on sinning. And so uh, he says, listen, how much more severely does someone who has um, trampled the Son of God underfoot need to be punished, who has treated as unholy the, um, as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant, Jesus Christ, that sanctified them, who was, listen, they've insulted the Holy Spirit. So th the point is there when they say, if we keep on sinning, judgment is awaiting they always make the assumption that person was a Christian and they rejected it and they lost. He's saying, you just, you just know the truth as a Hebrew, but you won't leave your legalism and the law for the grace. You've actively rejected it. All right, let me pray for you guys. Lord, thanks so much for this day. Thank you for uh, these guys. Pray that you had, a, they had an amazing week. We continue to pray for our friends down uh, in Houston and southeast uh, Texas and uh, those that uh, are going to experience more flood waters in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day, guys.